Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we approach your word this morning, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth, Lord, as we continue to study Romans. I pray, Lord, that we'd embrace it and we would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12 as we continue our study of not only the book of Romans, but also this 12th chapter. In our focal passage this morning will be verse 15, but I want to read verses 9 through 15 as they all go together. Starting at verse 9, it reads, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. And as we approach verse 15 this morning, let me remind you that Paul is telling his audience, the church at Rome, how Christians should behave individually and towards one another. Let me also remind you that as I preached through verse 14 last week, I mentioned that some commentators have stated that Romans 14 is a break, that 9 through 13 is towards the believer, verse 14 is how we should treat people on the outside as we go through persecution. And verse 15 goes back towards believers. I don't believe that verse 14 is a break. I think what he's doing is, is he's telling us congregationally how we should act when one of us or all of us come under persecution. What the overall congregational approach should be when one of us is going through a period of persecution. And I think it makes sense in looking at it that way when you look at verse 15 in conjunction with verse 14 when he tells us rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I think verse 15 is vital if you want to have a vibrant and healthy church, one in which there is rejoicing in weeping with the congregation. This is the type of church that God wants. It's what he commands us to do as a church. And in fact, you see this in the establishment of the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, when Luke recorded, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You may say, well, where's the weeping and rejoicing in that? Well, you have to have an affection towards your brothers and sisters in Christ 
if you are helping them in their need, it was there at the beginning of the church. It is recognized as love. And in fact, Jesus said that's how the world will know that we are his disciples. In John 13, 34, Christ said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By all this you will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. It's not a theory. It's not an intellectual acknowledgement. It is an active love. First John 4, verse 7, John wrote, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It is part of our spiritual DNA that we should have a love for one another. And that love for one another is carried out in rejoicing when our brothers and sisters are rejoicing and weeping when they are weeping. As I mentioned in a previous sermon, Christianity is not a solo sport. We are called into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is a community of believers. And in fact, you can make the point that you cannot effectively carry out verse 15 of Romans 12 unless you are part of a healthy community of believers found in the church. To prove my point, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It reads, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Look at 24. In order to stir up love. Now, if you're going to stir up love, if you're going to encourage one another for good works, you have to be assembled Together, you have to come together as a body of Christ. And I will make the argument all day long that the more you're here, the more you will experience the love and support of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Unfortunately, COVID has done a number on the body of Christ in America. You have people that have long since left the church that will make comments that say, well, gee, I love staying at home and watching church in my pajamas. Well, that's just what you're doing. You're watching church. You're not participating in church. And Christ did not give his 
life on the cross for us to sit passively at home watching church on TV. You are a spectator. You're not a participant. If you look at Romans 12, 15, we are called to be participants. And you can't participate in the body of Christ sitting at home watching a television preacher. It doesn't work. And this is a command. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And in Hebrews, we see what the writer tells us, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I remember growing up, people took ownership of their church. They were proud to be a member of their church. And they participated. And they found things that they could do within their church. And unfortunately, people now think that Christianity is a solo sport and it doesn't matter whether you're here or not. It does matter because as the body of Christ, we're called to come together and have an active love. You cannot experience the fullness of Christianity unless you are here. You have to be plugged in. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his famous sermon series on Romans posed a question regarding verse 15. And the question is this, which is more difficult, the rejoicing or the weeping? And I agree with his answer. In fact, it got me thinking all week long. It's the rejoicing. Rejoicing when others are rejoicing is the more difficult thing than the weeping. And as Jones gave an answer to this in his famous sermon, I got to thinking about it a little bit more deeply. And I want to give you my answers on why I think it is more difficult to rejoice with those that are rejoicing than weeping with those that are weeping. One is that I don't believe that most of the time we unanimously go through rejoicing or suffering together. One's going through trial or tribulation. The other believer at the same time is going through a period of blessing. Yes, there are exceptions where there's mass persecution. But for the most part, when we think about the body of Christ, some here are suffering, some are experiencing the blessings. This isn't an accident, because how can we minister to one another if all of us are going through a severe trial or tribulation at the same time? We have a body of believers coming together ministering to one another. Some are going to be suffering. Some are going to be experiencing blessings at the same time. However, I think that you'll agree when I make this statement. When you are in the valley, it's difficult to cast your eye up on the mountain and rejoice with those who are on top of that mountain. It's a challenge. 
Let's just be honest. It's a challenge. And in order to be able to do that, one has to rest upon the sovereignty of God. James 1 verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift in every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift. This means in order for me to be able to rejoice with those that are rejoicing when I'm going through a trial or tribulation, I have to rest in the fact that God is in control and I am and you are exactly where we're supposed to be at this moment of time. And when I can rest in the sovereignty of God, then I can rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Romans 8 We read 28 all the time, but I want to go up a little bit further before I read the verse that we refer to quite often. Romans 8 verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Look at verse 27. The Lord right now is making intercession for every single one of us according to His will. Right now, He's making intercession. And then you go down to 28. Right now, you are where you are supposed to be and God is using all things in your life right now to mold you and shape you into the image of His Son. Right now. Now, if I keep that in mind, I can rejoice when others are rejoicing. Even if I am in a time of despair. I think also, though, we must recognize a sin that is hardly ever preached on in our modern time. And that's the sin of covetousness. It is a sin to covet. If you look at Exodus 20, verse 17, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. If I am coveting, I can't rejoice. If I'm coveting, I can't rejoice. Paul dealt with coveting in Galatians 5 as he described the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at two components there as he outlined those in Galatians 5. Jealousies and envy. Jealousies and envy. Is that coveting? Yeah, it is. And you cannot rejoice in a spirit of jealousy, envy, or coveting. You've got to rest in the sovereignty of God. And when you rest in the sovereignty of God, you'll be able to do the hardest of Paul's commands. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's a sign of a vibrant and healthy church. And you and I both know, just as Solomon pointed out, there's seasons for everything, isn't there? Very rarely does one live constantly in a season of blessing, just as very rarely one lives in a lifelong perpetual state of weeping or sadness. It's not all the time. And it's so very important that we recognize that God's in control and we need to rejoice with our brother and sister in Christ. And we need to weep with our brother and sister in Christ. So now let's move on to weeping. You've all seen those pictures in the Middle East that have the professional mourners where one pays a mourner to show up and you see their wailing. What a job. It's fake, isn't it? It's fake. And you can have fake weeping. But that's not what he's telling us to do. It should be real. When we weep with our brother and sister in Christ, it should be real. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, 20. And you'll see here that Paul is describing how it should be within the church. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And then if you go to verse 25, it says there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now let's go back to my earlier reference to Hebrews. And I mentioned this last week, but I think it bears repeating. In order for there to be effective rejoicing and weeping, you have to be part of the body. An active part of the body. I remember years and years ago, somebody said, 
Well, you know, I've been sick, and not one person in the church called me. And I didn't say, well, you just got sick, and you haven't been to church in the last six months while you were still well. You can't have the support of the congregation unless you are actively involved. And quite frankly, I don't know how people live life without congregational support. You can't get this anywhere else. It is a rare commodity. For you to have brothers and sisters in Christ who care for one another, support one another, I got to have it. I got to have it. I can't live life without it. And we have a lovely church in which we have caring. And the more you show up, the more you recognize that your brothers and sisters in Christ really do care for you. But you have to be part of the body. I was a really uncoordinated kid. And my dad played junior college basketball. And he was a high school basketball star. And I really wanted to be like my dad. In fact, I have four stitches in my chin uh, to where I overdid it and passed out and spent a week in the hospital because I was pushing myself because I was going to be like my dad. But that wasn't my gift. But before I realized that that was not my gift, a week of reflection in the hospital will make you realize that that wasn't your gift. We were playing a team, and we were beating the team really badly. So the coach was rotating everybody in and out so everybody could get play. And we got into the dressing room afterwards, and everybody was so happy. And the coach said, well, it's wonderful that everybody got to play. And one of my teammates said... No, coach, Bird didn't get to play. I'd sat on the bench the entire time. He just overlooked me. He turned to me and he goes, oh, Monty, I am so sorry. Now, it was hard to rejoice because I didn't get to play. Consequently, it was hard for my teammates to weep. Because they were celebrating their victory. We're part of a team. We're part of a team. And part of that team is is when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. We're all together. And I would like to look at, in that regard, the life of Christ. In John chapter 11... And it's in reference to Lazarus. And the topic that I want to use here is is that there was real weeping. Look at John 11. Look at verse 32. It says, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews came with her weeping, He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? You know the rest of the story, don't you? That Jesus called Lazarus forth back into life. But what I want to talk about here just briefly is, is the weeping. Is the weeping. Being in the Reformed theology tradition, it would be easy for us to say, well, Christ knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Also, Christ knew that Lazarus would be with him in heaven. But that's not the point, is it? While Christ knew all of those things, as he saw the sister mourning, as he saw the Jews weeping, he wept because there was love there. It was genuine. It was real. That needs to be us. We can callously say, well, we know that God's going to take care of them. We could callously say that. But when you have real relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, yeah, we know the end's all going to work out, but we still need to weep when our brothers and sisters are weeping, just as Christ did. It's a sign of true love, isn't it? It's a sign of being in the body. That we come together as a congregation and we share one another's joys and we bear one another's burdens. It's part of who we are. If you take your focus off Christ, that's diminished. If you keep your eyes on Christ and the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you come together and we worship together and we serve together and we bear the burdens together and we rejoice in the blessings together. It is who we are as Christians. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for the love that we have through Christ. And I pray, Lord, that that love might be evident to the world as we love and care for one another. I pray, Lord, that our Christianity might not be intellectual, but actual. Love in action. Faith in action. And that we might stand as a testimony to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. 
Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.